if you send your homework to me on Thursday, that is the day of the retreat, that, that don't work. Hello, somebody. I had guys last year trying to hand it to me the, during the... I was like, it's, that part's over. I don't have time to read any more of that. So get it in, guys. Come on. Get it in. Stop procrastinating. Do your job. Everybody say, do your job. Do your job. It's fine. Uh, just something God has done in your life from last March to this March. Something you, you want to... That you work through or whatever. And um, you'll be surprised at how God uses everything during the weekend. Amen? So... Turn me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Now we're in the third week of victim to victor. And I want to read this scripture. It's very familiar to us as uh, God has taken us through this passage quite a bit in our journey as a church here lately. And then Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from Shittim. They came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the offerings, or the officers, went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Everybody say, follow it. This is, a, this is a significant part. There's the next step. Follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So Father, bless the re- reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. All right, here we go. Victims stand still. Victors move forward. The journey from being a victim to being a victor always requires leaving. Hello, somebody. The journey from being a victim to being a victor always requires leaving. But see, the paralysis of victimhood is not knowing how to leave. Because we're so familiar with victimhood. We're so familiar with what that looks like and how that is. Can you imagine over 400 years of slavery, what it must have felt like the first day as the Hebrews left Egypt? They had no concept of freedom. It's like trying to explain to a blind man what the color yellow looks like. You can't fathom it. You don't understand it. All you understand is freedom. I mean, it's slavery. So it's difficult to leave what you only understand. That's, and that's a paralysis to us. It, it keeps us locked in. Now, I told you last week a little bit more about my wife's story, and, um, you know, she, she's incredibly uncomfortable with this. Just trust me, she doesn't want to be anybody's hero. She doesn't mind being your example. But I shared at the end how God touched her that one night in Graceville, Florida at that revival, and how physically she started to respond uh, to the, the healing powers of God. And that was, that was great for us after two years of her physically struggling and, and going through some things. And, 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 and you know, if our relationship, it, it started to change in ways that were good because before I couldn't hold my wife's hand. There, I couldn't hug my, hello somebody. There was none of that because everything hurt her body. And so her beginning to respond to the Spirit of God moving on her and her body physically beginning to heal and change as God was working, life was beginning to get a little, uh, you know, different for us in the sense that I could hold her hand, I could give her a hug. And, and I remember one afternoon, uh, we were home and, you know, it, it was just incredible. And, you know, you, husbands and wives have these little playful moments. We had not in years because of her physical struggle. And so a chase ensued. Hello, somebody. Every man in the room does not. Yeah, they're like. And so, you know, there's this chase that's happening. I'm just trying to 
be honest with you. And man, I, my heart is full. I am enjoying this. And I caught her. Hello, somebody. Because she, she can't outrun me. So anyway, I, I caught her. And she despises being tickled. And so I caught her from behind. And I began to tickle her. And we were at the door of our bedroom. And she's kicking and, and struggling and you know, squirming around like everybody does when they don't like to be tickled. And this is an exciting moment. We're laughing. We're having a great time. It's just one of those things where, you know, God was just pouring out onto us. And so in that moment wrestling around, I threw her down on the bed. And my wife lost her mind. She immediately began to scream in terror. What was a joyous moment for us turned in a moment to her screaming and swinging and kicking and yelling. And I didn't know what was happening. And all I can remember her saying as she began to cry and scream, get away from me, get away from me, don't touch me. And my wife manages to get off the other side of the bed and church, she crawled up in the corner of our bedroom on the floor as tight as she could ball up, screaming, get away from me, don't touch me. And there I am, standing over my wife, wondering what is going on. Did I hurt her? What has happened? You see, years had gone by since she was 15 years old, and that long night had occurred. And in her mind, she had moved through some things, but not past some things. And in that moment, in my innocence, in our happiness and in our joy, when I threw her down on the bed, my wife had a flashback of that long night. And all she could see was that moment over and over and over in her mind. Can I say to you, church, that life is full of turning points? So somebody should write a book. And turning points are times of change that prepare us for the road and, and, and fulfill, help us fulfill God's purpose for our life. And the truth of the matter is transition, transition church, it's universal. Young children go to adolescence, teenagers turn into young adults, school transitions, work transitions, grief, divorce, job relocations, physical transitions, all the things that come even with just getting older. I'm learning that there are changes that happen from just getting older. Listen, age changes things. All those years, my wife kept saying to me, you know, you're not 18 anymore. And I would just brush it off and just whatever, you know. You can't play softball on Tuesday night with the guys and Wednesday morning get up and can't move. And, and, and she's like, you're not 18 anymore. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let these little punks outdo me. <laughs> now I'm beginning to realize the wisdom and, and you're not 18 anymore. H, who changed everything when I wasn't looking? I mean, I've noticed lately that everything is further away than it used to be. And, and, and somebody put a hill in between me and there that didn't used to be there. I mean, they, they make stairs, they're making stairs steeper these days. Absolutely. No need to ask anybody to read out loud anymore because everybody speaks so soft anymore. You can't hear them. <laughs> the size of clothes have changed. What used to be a large ain't a large no more. It's a medium. 
Even people are changing. They're so much younger than they used to be when I was that age. I mean, it's weird being the same age as old people now. <laughs> who, ch who changed everything when I wasn't looking? Transition is good, it's, it's but we don't always like it. We never, listen, transition is the passage from one place to another, from one stage to another. That's what transition is. And the fact of the matter is change is inevitable whether it's change we choose or it's change that's presented to us. Change is universal. It's happening. And the secret to success in any transition is the attitude. You see, to realize the promise of God in our lives, you and I have got to be ready to move ahead obediently into the transitions that God is calling us into, even into the uncertainty that comes with change. Joshua was given a task. Lead the people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's the task of any leadership inside of ministry, is to lead God's people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And let me tell you something, that journey never, ever, ever stops. When they crossed the Jordan and put their soles of their feet on the dust of the promised land, the journey of change didn't stop. It wasn't over. It's just beginning. And leadership takes us from where we are to where God wants us to be. That is transition. That's God's call in our life. And it never stops. The Hebrew people have to go from Egypt, the land of not enough, to the desert, the land of just enough. But God isn't done because God doesn't want us living as just enough people. And so God has prepared a land of more than enough for us. But we don't possess the land of more than enough unless we are willing to transition from not enough to just, hello somebody. The other side of the Jordan, it represents God's given destinies and plans and purpose. Listen, let me tell you, it's very simple. The other side of Jordan always represents a whole new way of living. You can't live the way you lived. In the promised land, outside. you can't. You, you got to live different. It requires living different. And you can't talk to someone who has been delivered by the Lord and them tell you that they still get to live the same as they did before their deliverance. You got to live different. I tell married people who are in crisis, you can have the marriage you want with the person you're married to. You just can't be married the same as you were yesterday. You gotta decide that nonsense is over. It's a whole new way of living, a whole new way of being married. I tell young people who, who come to faith in God and, 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 you know, they've been living in the world. Listen, this is a whole new way of living. This has nothing to do with religion and do's and don'ts. This has everything to do with possessing the promise of God for your life. Every transition in life is preceded by some kind of obstacle. Now, see, you could have said amen right there, but for Israel, it's Jordan. That's the obstacle. They couldn't even begin to fight the enemy until they crossed that obstacle. Hello, somebody. See, you can't begin to be victorious until you cross the thing that's keeping you a slave. Till you get over that. Till you admit what it is. You cannot deny the Jordan. Hello, somebody. And God doesn't want you to deny it. God's not asking you to walk up to this thing that's, that's bigger than you are. That's impossible to cross in your own strength. This thing that is out of bounds and out of order. That's what the Jordan was. It was out of bounds and out of order. It was too big to cross in their own strength. It was flooding its banks. And God has them standing on the shore of something that is bigger than who they are. And see, yours is the same way. That marriage crisis, absolutely. It looks impossible and too big to cross. Those prodigals who refuse to come home, absolutely, they look lost to the world. Come on, that sickness and disease, the doctor's report, come on, that looks impossible to get to. 
That depression and anxiety that you've never been able to overcome, that keeps you paralyzed. It's, it's that place that's, that's out of bounds and overflowing. It's too much for you. And you can never be victorious until you cross it, though. And the longer you linger, the longer you stay dispossessed of God's victory in your life. None of that's in my notes, so that's just Holy Ghost. The stakes are high. I'm going to say to you, it's life and death. The stakes are high. When a church family feels like God has given them a vision, the stakes are high. Are we going to commit to it? Is this a way of living? Is this is who we are? Is this what we're called together to do and be? Or is, there, or is church to us just a place we get to come into and make ourselves feel good about? Or has God called us to a place to say physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally, here's where I'm at. This is where I'm giving. My life is in, in, embedded in this because this is my crossover place. Listen, I don't have time to do it today, but you can do your own research. This place where they crossed the Red Sea, it's the same place. Come on, I mean, the, the Jordan. It's the same place where Jesus was baptized. It's the same place where Elijah and Elisha. It's the same place that Elisha came back and said, where is the God of... It's the same place. It's strategic. See, where you are right now, facing this thing that's out of bounds and out of control, is strategic. God didn't have you show up there and just go, oh, I'm sorry, my GPS was off. Let's recalculate this. I'll find you a shout. No, God knew exactly where he wanted you to be. The stakes are high. You know, turning back, you can't go back now. These people endured 40 years of pain. You've endured a lifetime of being a victim to something. The discipline's about the next step. But I want want you to understand, standing at the Jordan is just as significant as standing in the Red Sea, but it's not the same thing. Standing at the Red Sea is going to end 430 years of slavery. Standing on the Jordan... It's going to end 40 years of existing on just enough. It's the end of 40 years walking in a circle. It's the end of striving and never arriving. Hello, somebody. Some of y'all are right there. Y'all right there. That's your prayer, Lord. I'm tired of striving and never arriving. That's why God has you at the Jordan. It's the end of that aspect. It's the end of walking by sight. It's the end of independent living. It's the end of never being assured of victory over the enemy. It's the end of being constantly reminded of your past failures. It's the end of fear. It's the end of self-centeredness and existing where life is only about you. It's a moment of transition that would change Israel's history. You see, and that's where you're at. The the moment from victimhood to victory is a moment of transition that will change your life. It's not denial of what happened. It's not denial about what you went through. It's not denial about what what has happened to you. God's not interested in, in denial. God's interested in crossing over. Can I say this? While the the crossing of the Red Sea equaled escape and and liberation, the crossing of the Jordan equals a whole new way of living. And 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 I'm sorry, you cannot be a victor unless you're willing to live different than you lived as a victim. Because, see, victims spend their life trying to escape what happened to them. Victors discover a whole new way of living. See, that's going to need to marinate. Let's, mar- let's let that marinate. What's his name? Tim Ross. Tim Ross. There we go. Let's just let that marinate. Victims spend their life trying to escape what happened to them. Victors discover a whole new way of living. And so when it comes to victimhood, the human inclination is to, is to get used to one's familiar habitat. 
Change doesn't come easy to anyone. So the answer is always next step. Why? Why, church? Why did the Lord, why did the Lord allow my wife to have this moment, this horrible flashback? Hasn't she been through enough? Where is the goodness of God in this moment? Through all these years. Come on. I'm as human as you. Standing there, seeing this happen, wondering where, where is the goodness of God? I, I, you know what, Lord? There's a lot of things that I could judge as not fair. And you might go, whatever. But in my heart of hearts, this is not fair. Why did the Lord do this? Because this was a moment of transition. This was an emotional turning point in her life. This was a moment of learning to live a new way. This is a moment where, you're, where she's coming to this point where she's no longer just trying to escape the memory and the emotional and physical trauma of a night all those years ago, but now having a crossover moment to transition from victim to victor. I'm going to get back to the story. Just not right now. The crossover, victim to victor, it's more than just moving camp, church. Yesterday we were on the west side. Now we're on the east side. We crossed over. It's more than just moving camp. It's a time for commitment. It's a time for ending one error and entering into another. And you know what? To complicate matters, there's this significance of the uncertainty of what's next. You see, for them, on the other side of the Jordan were walled cities. They hadn't seen them, but they'd heard about them. Only a few eyes had seen those cities. Only the ten spies had seen those cities. And, and, and so uh, on the other side of the Jordan were defending armies. On the other side of the Jordan were the Nephilim, the giants. On the other side of the Jordan were well-equipped warriors. And just so you think that, that it shouldn't be so difficult for them to pause in this moment, I need you to understand 40 years prior, they had been presented with this same crossing. No, and they refused. But this time, Joshua, the great general. Joshua's one of my favorite. He's the great general. Come on. He's one of my favorite New Old Testament guys, right? Like, he didn't bat an eye when God shows up and says, hey, Moses is dead. You're up. I mean, if it had been me, I'd been like, wait a minute. I just saw Moses. He, he, didn't, he wasn't even coughing. He didn't, he didn't have a cold. He was good. Like, what do you mean? Moses is dead. We didn't even have a funeral. No, no. You're up. Joshua knew who he was. He had tr he's trusting in his training. He's trusting in his God. He's trusting that his leaders had prepared him to be the one for transition. See, transition, it, it's a bittersweet experience. Why? Because there's comfort in victimhood. Somebody say Amen. You know why there's comfort in victimhood? Because you get to blame others as an excuse to not possess your own victory. We get, let's let that marinate. You can pick a victim out instantly. They're full of people to blame. Am I a victim? Am I living in victimhood? Inventory. Who am I blaming for my lack of victory? See, it's scary to go from trusting our own resources to trusting God. It's scary to go from do it yourself to trusting God to do it for us and through us. It, come on, church, I'm being honest with you. See, the, the question is, will you cower in fear uh, of what lies on the other side of the crossing, the transition? Or are you going to move forward in confidence into a new place? 
Let me give you quickly a couple of things that I think you need to own this morning. To transition from victim to victor. You ready? Keep your eyes on God. Here are the things that took place for them that need to take place from us for us to move from victim to victor. Number one, keep your eyes on God. Focus on his presence and be ready to follow his leading. Joshua's focused the attention of Israel on the Ark of the Covenant. He's got, right? The Ark of the Covenant was a visible symbol of the presence of God among them. And customarily, it's set in the Holy of Holies, and only the priest could go in and present sacrifice before the Lord. But he says, focus on the presence of the Lord, he told the people, for he is the one who will lead us into Canaan. And look, as you prepare, as you prepare for transition, as you prepare and you think about, man, I, I'm tired of being a victim. I do want victory. I need you to understand we no longer need to look for a visible symbol of the presence of God. He lives inside of us. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That's what the scripture promises us. God has a plan, a way to make it through the difficult times that's frustrated us. Let me tell you something, wife. Let me tell you something, wife. God knows how to reach a husband that seems resistant to Christ. Come on, come on. Let me tell you something, teenager. You're uncertain about your future? What God wants to do with you? Listen, you can trust the one who's already got a plan. Let me tell you something, sick person. God knows how to deal with your disease. God knows what your struggle's like. Maybe, just maybe, God's using that to create a new depth of intimacy. Between you and him. Because come on, you, you don't ever pray like you pray when you don't feel good. Right. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Come on, somebody. Right. Let me tell you something, Dad. You feel like you failed your family and your kids? I just feel like you serve a God who knows that the second half of your life is more significant than just making money. Come on, somebody. Let me tell you something, mom, who's scared of empty nesting. The kids are going leaving. What's my purpose? What's my value? Who am I now? I've lived my whole life, and, and, and my whole identity has been wrapped up in all these crazy demon-possessed things that have been running around my house for a few years. And now they ain't going to be there. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. You got to keep your focus on God. If you're moving down this road from victim to victor. The next thing you got to do is prepare your heart. Look at verse 5 there. It's incredible. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Come on church. Come on church. And Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the, uh, of the Covenant and pass on before this people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and, and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, today, today, everybody say this day. I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Sanctify yourself. The promise of God is not just about possessing something it's about preparing our hearts to know that the presence of God has promised to be with us. They had to do this. They had to sanctify themselves, set themselves apart in order for God to do miracles among them. He promised that's what he wanted to do. They had to get their hearts ready by renewing where they were at as the people of God. And so for me and you, out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible calls me and you a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You need to renew your heart in who you are in God. Because the victimhood will rob you of your identity as royalty. Victimhood will allow you to live in a constant saga of struggle, wondering 
why the Lord would let you go through it again. This is not fair. Your prayers will turn into the, about the fairness of what you're going through instead of towards the one who's walking with you through it. That wasn't in my notes either. That was the Holy Ghost. It's clear. Holiness isn't earned. It's the work of God in us. We're always called to make choices to be God's. Come on. We're always called to make choices to be God's people. It's a time of transition. We need to become more and more conscious of his presence among us. Even, even as a holy people renewing our, our separating, our consecrated life towards him. And you know what the third thing you need to do? If you're a victim and you're trying to become a victor is you need to move out. You need to move out. The day for stepping out has arrived. You just say in the scripture, the, pe- the priests have shouldered the ark. Come on, right? And the, the shofars are sounding and the announcement is made. Move out. Next step. And I don't know about you, but I, when I read this, this portion of the Bible, I can just, I can hear the shuffle of million of feet, the bleeding of sheep and goats getting disturbed and moved in a direction. You can taste the dust in the air. Down the center of the camp comes this parade of, of, of priests with, this, with the ark on their shoulders as they march towards the edge of a river with no bridge. What's going to happen? Try to imagine for a minute what it must have been like. To have the priest in front of them carrying the ark. Walking towards a river with no bridge. See, that's what it looks like as a victim. A way forward with no bridge. The only way to get over this is to cross this thing. But there's no bridge. There's no way under or around. How are we going to do this? And see, the Bible's clear. It wasn't until their feet touched the water that the Lord stopped the flow. Can I, can I say this? You ever, you, ever, you ever meet those people who are always preparing but never pulling the trigger? Pull the trigger! There's that person who's always working on their next degree but still working at Walmart. Boy, that, there might be some people in here. That must have hit. There's that young man that has proposed to a beautiful young lady and it's five years later and he ain't still set a date. What are you waiting on? Something better to come along? I remember talking to Ethan Wired. He had this ring and he was going to propose, but he'd set the, pro- the proposal months out in a date. And I was like, bro, what you going to do if some other dude comes around with a ring before you? What you waiting on? Hello, somebody. You better hurry up because something better might come along for her. Because every one of us know you outkicked your coverage. I outkicked my coverage. Breno, you outkicked your coverage? You can't just. You better hurry up. What are you waiting on? You ever see that Christian who's always talking about doing ministry but never steps up and does it? You see, the transition from victorhood to victor demands a moment when we, all the preparation leads to putting it on the line and moving forward. Yeah, I, some of you ladies in here like to go window shopping. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I cannot do it. Listen, I'm, I know what I'm going to buy something. I got the store mapped out. I'm going in. I'm going to get it. And I know which one's the quickest register. I'm in there. I'm at the, and I'm out of there. No, listen, my wife's like, I'm going, I got to go grocery shopping today. I ain't going to see her for 12 hours. <laughs> I 
like, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll be in the bed when you get home. Are we really risking if we're following God's presence and living a consecrated life? Well, sure we are. I don't understand why Christians, we're supposed to be people of faith, but we're terrified of risk. We do everything to arrive at our funeral comfortable. Our whole life, we do everything to get to the day where they're going to put us in the ground comfortable. Israel had all the promises of God written down. They had all stored in their memory, they, and they, they, but they still had to possess it. There's going to be battles. There'll be difficulties. Listen, I don't pretend to tell you that it's easy. Just step out. But there comes a moment when we've got to commit to the process. Come on, church. We've got to step out and risk something. It's a moment we discover who God really is in the depth of love for us. That's the moment. It's a moment where we really discover who we are. It's a moment sometimes, it's exciting, that moment approaching desperation. Moments of time when we get our feet wet. I'm going to urge you to make that kind of commitment to the thing that God has put in front of you with no retreat. Don't retreat. Let's be done with Egypt and stop and stop running back to it. Stop running back to it. Let's be done with Egypt. That thing that's got you depressed, be done with it. Those things that cause you anxiety, find a new way to live. Yeah. Are you with me, church? See, some of, some of y'all got some friends that ain't your friends, and you just think, well, I, don't, I, won't, I, I won't hang out. No, you need to unfriend them. They, just, un, just unfriend them. They're not your, come on. Some of y'all got some exes y'all need to block. You got them people in your life that's always leading you back to Egypt? Block. I'm, talk, I'm talking about friends, family, relatives, block, block, block. You know why? Because I'm tired of being a victim. And I'm tired of you dragging me back to slavery. You're not my friend. Jesus called me to be more than a conqueror. And as long as you're dragging me backwards, I can't be a conqueror. I block, block. I'm not going back to Egypt with you. I'm not doing that. You have to unfollow some people. Ethan Wired just sent me a text. Love you, Ethan. Love you. That's hilarious. I have to be careful what I say in a sermon. Them people are listening <laughs> live. <laughs> you better own it, brother. Just own it. As we move out from victimhood to victory, the new place of God's provision, you got to be done with your human efforts and solutions. Proclaim total dependence. Take sight of the promise. The source of our true confidence is God. He who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus. That's Philippians 1.6. In Isaiah, let me read it to you out of the message. It's really good, 43. Now, the message isn't a translation. It's a paraphrase, but let me just, I love how I put it here. Are you ready? Right? Here's what it says. When you're in over your head, I'll be with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, I won't be a dead end because I'm God, your personal God, the holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. God's not a dead end. Oh, my. Hey, come on, somebody. Victimhood leaves us at a dead end. It always does. And you know what? You done been through some stuff. Every one of us in this room done been through some stuff. It's your testimony, not your victimization. See, Christians have got to learn that God has given us a test. We used to have testimony services. It's our testimony. God is giving me victory. 
The problem is we don't know the difference between victimization and a testimony. But see, your story, they're a testimony to future generations. These young people that come behind us, I want them to live on the faith of what they saw us walk through. And I want them to stand up here and lead this ministry forward and say, if God was with them, he's with us because he made that promise. And that God has given us the promise that this day I'll demonstrate that I'm with you just like I was with them. Don't take it lightly, the experience you have and what God has walked through with you in life. Those times of provision when God provided for you in the last minute, cherish them, hold on to them. Chapter 4 here is incredible. Chapter 4 here is incredible. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men, the people, the tribe, and, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over and lay them down in the place. And Joshua called 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark. The Lord God is in the midst of, of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come what do these stones mean to you then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever your testimony is not your victimization. It's your message to those who come behind you. Come on, somebody. If it wasn't, God would let you die in your situation and circumstance. But instead, he he walked you through it. I said, don't take lightly the experience you had in God through your your life. Memorials, memories, they can help us have confidence in God. These these memories of God continuing to provide. Take the time. Last but not least here, watch this, surrender. Joshua had a giant in his life too. Two of them. What? What? What kind of Bible are you reading, Pastor Don? The first one was Jericho. That was Joshua's giant. But it wasn't as big as the second one. And that was his own heart. Two things had to happen for Joshua to win the war. Verse 13, I'll read it. And it came to pass when Joshua was was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand now that phrase looked up is, is it indicates surprise I didn't expect him to be there and, and wisely the great general Joshua didn't draw his sword thinking this individual is looking for a fight instead he asked this man are you friend or foe I, I don't have time to read it the whole story but verse 14 says and he said no but as the commander of the army of the lord i have now come his response was not what joshua expected are you friend or foe his response was neither see you too busy trying to earn the right for god to be on your side that you don't realize that the right call is you need to be on god's side See, we, we, we're too quick to draw our sword because we, that's where we think the victory is. It's in the fight. But Joshua so wisely wants to understand what's really happening here. Can I say something to you, church, very plainly? When God walks onto the scene, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. Yeah. Oh! And that's what I want. I want God to take over. I have messed this up long. Come on, somebody. Every time 
I have messed it up over and over and over and over again. I've tried it in my own strength. I've tried to press through and I can't do it. I can't unfriend those people. I can't not want to go back to Egypt. I can't go forward because there isn't any bridge. I got all these reasons why I mess it up. When the Lord shows up on the scene, he's not interested in taking sides. He's interested in taking over. And that's what you need. Joshua falls on his face to the earth. And he says, what does the Lord say to his servant? In verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals. The place where you stand is holy. This is Christ appearing to man 1,400 years before he would be born in Bethlehem. So in shock and amazement, Joshua flings himself on the ground. Can I say something to you, church? Despite what you feel, you are never alone. You are never alone. Come on, the commander... Of the armies. Come on, the commander. I said the commander of the Lord's army is with you. You are never alone. But see, victimhood convinces you that you're isolated and you're alone and no one understands. We're not told what the message is. But I can deduce, there's a word for you, that the details of how the war would be waged was there. But the greater significance of of meeting with the commander-in-chief of the Lord's army is that Israel would not be fighting alone. Let me ask you a question this morning, church. Have you identified what makes you a victim? That thing that stands between you and victory. That thing that stands between you and the fulfillment of God's will for your life. See, each of us comes to our own Jordan at some time in our lives. And the Jordan River represents full surrender. The Jordan River represents a turning point in how we live. The Jordan River is where we die to our own plans and our own ways and our own ambitions. The Jordan River is where we make a choice to face the enemy of our soul and take possession of the promise of God. And this morning I want to ask you, have you made that choice? Because if you haven't, you're living as a victim. Will you risk moving into the promise that God is calling you to possess? Can I tell you the end of the story in mine in my wife's bedroom? I'm standing over this woman that I love, paralyzed to know what to do. I'm used to not touching her. But I had had that hope for a little bit that I could. And now it's taken away again. And so I can't, I can't, I can't embrace her. Not, this time not because it hurt her physically. But this time because she was rejecting me. In every way as if I were those three guys who took her by gunpoint at 15 years old and savagely abused her. I stand there as if I'm the guy who did that to her. And so now condemnation comes over my life and guilt comes over me and I'm helpless to help my wife and, and, and we're there. She's screaming and, and tears and, and, and I, I'm, I can't say or do or I don't know what to do. I'm just, I just began to pray in the spirit. I didn't know what else to do. My wife is cowered in a corner in the fetal position. And 
as close as I am to her, I can't get to her. She doesn't want me. And so I get down on my knees, as close as she will let me, and I make her look me in the eye. Through her tears and my tears, it's just the Holy Ghost. I looked her in the eye and I said, I want to ask forgiveness. I want you to forgive me for every man who has ever hurt you in your life. And she looked at me with this stare, at first of anger. And I saw hate. And I said, forgive me for every man who's ever hurt you. I'm asking for forgiveness. I had never done those things to my wife. I, I didn't cuss. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I, I, I didn't hit her. I didn't yell or raise my voice. I worked two 40-hour-a-week jobs. I, was, I didn't do those things. But I was tired of unfair. I was tired of that excuse. This is not fair that I should have to ask for forgiveness for something someone else did. I didn't do it. But see, as long as you are interested in what's fair, you will always be a victim. And I'm not going to be a victim to some other stupid idiot's issues. I'm not going to let what those guys did own my life. I'm not going to let them own my wife's life. And so I looked at her again and I said, I want you to forgive me. I'm asking for forgiveness. Forgive me for every man who's ever hurt you. Through her tears, I heard her voice say, I forgive you. And instantly she leaped out of that corner. And grabbed a hold of me. And she said, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Forgiveness was her next step. Forgiveness was her Jordan. She didn't care about a river. She didn't care about a bridge. She didn't care about what was fair. And if I forgive those men, they'll get away with what they did to me. Even though they were all in prison. But you got to understand as a victim, that's not enough for you. That you get to punish those who's hurt you. It'll never be enough. Because that doesn't heal you from victimhood. Deliverance is what heals you from victimhood. Victorious people are people who have no weights. There my wife is. Latched on to me with a death grip that I had not felt in years. You see, years before she got this phone call on our trip to Florida, a few weeks back, will you let this man go who did this to you? Even though my wife asked for time to process, it was never about unforgiveness. It was never about being a victim anymore. She wasn't a victim because she was already a victor. Come on, Melinda. We need to be done. Church, let me tell you something. God has offered us all we need today. Why are we so complacent? Why you let this thing own you? Why? God has called you to something great. God has called this church to things greater than we've ever seen. And that requires the house be full of victors and not victims. See, as a victim, you'll consume everything that comes into your life. As a victor, you learn to give it all away. 
if God has predestined us for anything, is to walk in his power and his anointing for his glory. And I want to say to you, as you prepare for your crossing, your transition, take a lesson from Joshua the general. Focus on God. Consecrate yourself. Walk. Next step. Move. Don't just go halfway. Take courage from the word of God. Join others in this pilgrimage. Come on. Every person in this room has been victimized. But the call of God is that every person in this room is more than a conqueror. You see, I need to say this again, and I've said it for years. I'm going to continue to say it until we realize that we don't fight for victory anymore. We fight from victory. I am already victorious. Jesus already won. Come on, church. Remember, your testimony is not about victimization. It's about a memorial so others can see the glory of God. And if you and I don't surrender, submit our plans, purpose, and agenda to the Lord, we're never going to win any battle. Stand with me in this place. You know what I say? I say, let's cross the river. Possess the land. Now, I'm going to continue to say this. I've shared some details of our life that maybe I've never shared before. If you want Lisa's testimony that she shared all those years ago, we have it. You can listen to it. We've titled that, that story, The Plight of a Rejected Girl. See, what I, what I want you to understand is that the lie of the enemy is that you stand in this room and no one can relate to where you're at. That's a lie. It's the reason we want to tell you everything. We done been through some stuff. Hello, somebody. And it wasn't easy. You done been through some stuff. And it wasn't easy. You know what that means to me? That means it ain't no time for quitting now. God did not bring me this far to leave me here. God did not bring you this far to leave you here. God did not join all of us in this ministry to leave us here. God did not bring us these wonderful, amazing young people to leave us here. God has a legacy for his people. And it's called victory. This morning, you're going to have to surrender some stuff. You're going to have to start by, in your mind, blocking some people and then later on physically go, I ain't doing it no more. And there are going to be some folk don't understand it. That's all right. That's all right. They got no ability to comprehend your Jordan. They'll only talk you out of it. So, Father, in this place, we say amen. Let it be. Say, Jesus, thank you for showing up. Even now, Lord, I feel you in this room with the sword drawn, the word of God, declaring victory over your people. And this morning, God, those who are struggling with victimhood, God, help them surrender. Help their prayer to change, God, from, Lord, won't you be on my side, to, Lord, I want to be on your side. I want to be on the side of the one who cannot lose. I want to be on the side of the one who cannot lose. And this battle that I'm facing, it's nothing for the one who can't lose. It's not this marriage, it's nothing for the one who can't lose. Uh, This sickness, it's nothing for the one who can't lose. This depression, this anxiety, it's nothing for the one who can't lose. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, those prodigals, it's not a battle. It's not a battle for the one who can't lose. You stand victorious and you call us on the journey of victory with you, Jesus. And so we say we want to surrender to you. In Jesus' name. My victory.
Come on, church. Hey, this altar's open. Come on. Nobody's going to judge you. This house is full of people who've got a reason. Amen. To live in victimhood, but we also got a reason to be a victor. Come on. Come on. Just lay some stuff on the altar. Lay some stuff at the presence of God. Hallelujah. This is 
Jesus. Thank you for the power of your name. Thank you for the promise. Lord, it's, it's in your name that we have hope. Because it's at the name of Jesus that every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. And God, I just declare that right now over everything that keeps the people of God in victimhood. I just declare right now that whatever it is, even the most unimaginable thing, bow its knee right now in the name of Jesus. God, as your people stand and surrender to you, let victory be our testimony. Let the lives of the people of this ministry, everyone who hears this word, be the memorials, the stones set up out of the river of Jordan to future generations that God is with us. And that the same God who was with those who crossed that mighty Jordan is the same God who is with those who will possess the promise of God. You have not changed. You are the same. So in this place this morning, God, I pray the stories of victory begin to flow. I pray it in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. We got one more message in this series, and we start our Easter sermon series. I want to remind you of March 21st at 7 p.m. God bless you. Turn around and tell someone, you're a victor.